You may remain standing for the reading of the Word. We direct your attention to the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at the birth narratives of Jesus. And we continue with the story of the forerunner of the Christ, that is John the Baptist and his parents. The story picks up in verse 57 of chapter, chapter 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened and he spoke blessings. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The last time we saw Zechariah, he was in the temple. He was one of those rustic priests. He'd come into Jerusalem for his time of service. He was serving the Lord at the altar of incense, raising the prayers and the intercessions of God's people. The angel Gabriel appeared to him. The angel Gabriel knew that, John, that Zechariah was one of those people who had lived his life longing waiting for the Savior of Israel. His prayer had been, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. And the angel said, Your prayer has been answered. 
Zechariah had another prayer on his mind that he had probably prayed many, many times, but might have not prayed so often in his older years. And that is that God would give him a child, a son. That prayer was answered. And his wife, who was, they were living in the hill country of Judea, south of Jerusalem, she became pregnant. And the scripture says for five months, she didn't tell a soul. <laughs> she didn't show herself. And she wasn't showing. But then the time came. And the baby was born. The phenomenal thing was that after Zechariah had had his conversation with Gabriel at the altar of incense in the temple of the Lord, the angel had detected in Zechariah a tinge of unbelief. And he was struck speechless, probably deaf as well. And he had gone back and all this time, almost a year, he had been speechless. During that time, a distant cousin of Mary's, of, uh, of uh, Elizabeth Mary, had come to visit. And she too was with child. The problem was, Mary was a virgin. But when the two women met, the child in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. What happened? He had met the resurrection and the life. He came alive. The Bible says, with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God came upon John in the womb. Signs and wonders. Special things are happening in Israel. And poor Zacharias, deaf and dumb, was in the house with two pregnant women for a long period of time. I have a feeling this old prophet, this old priest rather, really spent some time contemplating. He probably sought solace. <laughs> what is going on? This child of my old age on his way soon to be born and this relative with child and she's a virgin. When John, the little baby boy, was born, they were going to name him. And the right thing to do, according to strongest Jewish tradition, was to give him some family name Preferably the name of his father, or at least his grandfather. But 
Elizabeth said, no, I've already learned that his name is to be John, which means grace. Nobody in the family's named John. Nobody in the family seen this kind of grace before either. This is the gift, the grace of God to His people. As we've mentioned many times, when God comes to visit His people, He visits them with grace from a heart of love and mercy. This has been Israel's experience all along. Let me just reference one little verse out of the Old Testament. The last paragraph of the book of Genesis. This is Joseph, the fourth generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Fourth generation, they're now in the land of Goshen, in the land of Egypt. And listen to what Joseph says to his brothers. I am about to die, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely visit you. This is ingrained in the covenant promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't have any record of God renewing the covenant with Joseph, but it's been entrenched now in the family genes for four generations. God will visit you. If I was a preacher, I'd just stop right here and talk about how that's God's promise to you. God will visit you. You may have been in a long night of spiritual darkness, a long night of maybe depression or oppression and seeming that the pessimism and the despair of your own thoughts have taken you to a place where there's very little light, very little hope. Life has become wearisome. Life has become frightening. Life has become threatening. Life has just become boring, meaningless. God will visit you. That's His promise. He'll do it in His own time. He'll do it by His sovereign action. But He will come to bring light to your soul. He will come to bring gospel, good news, and healing, and restoration. He will come to redeem those years that the locusts have eaten. He will come to put you in the place that you need to be. He will come to you. He will visit you. Pray for it. Wait for it. Believe and long for it. God will visit you. And this is precisely what Zechariah says in his, what's called the Benedictus, coming from the Latin translation, which means literally eulogy. He gives a eulogy, a good thought, a good word, a good speaking, a blessing, a benediction. And he gives it to the Lord when the, when the baby is born. They name him John. And the father said, his name is John. 
They weren't waiting until the day of circumcision to name the lad. They didn't name the lad on the day of his birth. That boy had been given his name from the councils of eternity. That boy was the voice of grace that God had prepared from all eternity past. That boy was going to be a voice. He's prophesied in the Old Testament. We find the prophecies several places. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground should become level. The rough places plain. That's a voice. It's a voice crying in the wilderness. And that was a direct prophecy of the ministry of John the Baptist. In verse 5 of chapter 40 of Isaiah says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Who's the glory of the Lord? Christ Himself. When He said, glorify Me with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. The glory of God is the face of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, the glory of God shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. There'll be a revelation, a universal worldwide revelation of gospel proclamation of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And John was going to be the first preacher of it in his generation. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The question then on the lips of all the people, this sounds like a special child. Has a special name. He's had a special birth. He has very special parents. What is going on here? The hand of the Lord is on this little boy, this little baby. What then shall this child be is the question. Let me tell you quickly who this child will be. This child will be the last prophet of the Old Testament. You're familiar with the old prophets going back the generations to the writing prophets, the ecstatic prophets. This prophet will be like the earliest prophets. He will be the very last one. He'll be the one that will introduce Christ. All the prophets spoke, Christ is coming. John's message will be, Christ is coming. Here He is. Here's what's special about John. He was fitted his whole life for the work that God had given him to do. He had godly parents. I don't think we need to underestimate the importance of an incredibly godly home for raising a child that is equipped for an unusual work of the Lord. We see that all through the Old Testament. The godly parents, faithful, covenant-keeping, obedient Israelites producing a little baby that will grow up to do great things for God. Samuel, Samson, David, over and over we see this. That's why Paul considered himself, even though he had about 25 to 30 years of not being a believer, the Apostle Paul thought of himself as being separated from his mother's womb for the gospel message. Elizabeth a godly woman, a descendant of Aaron, not just your average Levite daughter, but from the tribe of 
Levi, the daughter, the descendant of Aaron, the original high priest. And then the father, a Levite, a descendant of Levi as well, one who was trained in the priesthood, one who had spent his life studying the law and the righteousness of God and the prophets and practicing those ministries in Israel that the priests were to practice. And he did it out in the obscure lands of the hill country, not there in the splendor of the temple. Zechariah was a rustic priest. He had been doing the things that priests do in Israel. He'd been teaching the people faithfully. He'd been hearing their confessions and, and, and receiving uh, the prayers of the people. He had been leading the people to understand the sacrifices and what they entailed and what they meant. He'd been performing the healing arts. He'd been performing various administrative and judicial functions. The, the Levites in the, Old Testament, in, in the Old Testament era coming up to Christ were the doctors, the physicians in Israel. They were also the judges in Israel. They settled disputes. And little John had been raised in this home, preparing for this ministry himself. The Bible says he had been filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The spirit of Elijah was upon him. Elijah was the first of the ecstatic prophets that we read about that had an incredible ministry with signs and wonders and miracles and, and an unusual uh, appearance. Elijah was clothed in an unusual way. He had a garment, a mantle that just said prophet all over it. In fact, the mantle is the symbol of the prophet in Israel. The mitre is the symbol of the priest, the scepter of the king, but the mantle is the symbol of the prophet. And it was the prophet's mantle, Elijah, that was shared then and given to Elijah, his successor. And there's been a sense in which the, the, the camel's hair, the garment that the prophet wore, especially the, the rustic prophet, the prophet that was out among the people, it said something before the prophet ever opened his mouth. This is a man of God clothed with righteousness, clothed with power, clothed with the Holy Spirit. And that was Elijah, and that was John. When John came, the Scripture said that he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. Interesting thing about John. Probably around the age 20, maybe late teens, around age 20, he moved into his own residence. He moved into his own place, and his place was a place of study a place of solitude, a place of rest, but also a place of energizing. A place where in solitude and in privation and desolation, his soul was cleansed and purged. He was down to the bare necessities of life. He was not in the temple, he was not in the palace, but he was in the wilderness. Or if there's any... If there's any place that'll get you ready to minister, it's the wilderness. Just ask Moses. <laughs> Just ask Jesus. Just ask John. And after having been in the wilderness at age 30, when the, prophet, when the priest began their ministry, he comes forth. But he comes out of that unique genre of prophets who were not just preachers and proclaimers, but they were trained in the priesthood. Isaiah was one of these people. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the great writing prophets were priests. 
But then they took on the call and the special ministry of prophet. Priesthood was a matter of inheritance. If your dad was a priest, your granddad was a priest, you were a priest. But not prophecy. You didn't have to be the prophet nor the son of a prophet to be called of God to deliver a special message. And here's the message that John delivered. He delivered a message of hope. It was a message calling upon the people to repent of their sins. But the broader implications of the message are this. The expectation in Israel that God would send someone who would politically deliver little Israel from the various yokes of bondage that they had been under, under the Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans. The theme of deliverance and saving and rescue is the theme of Israel's salvation. But it was far more than just a political deliverance. By the way, it is a political deliverance. If you don't think God Almighty one day is going to deliver us from Babylon, Rome, and Washington, D.C., you don't understand the Bible. There is a real political and cosmic deliverance that God has for His people. One of these days, He's going to break all the shackles of sin that oppress us not only personally and individually, but corporately and nationally and deliver us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And all the other kings of the earth will be flattened and fallen. Oh, John has that message to preach, and he preached it to King Herod. And it cost him his head. John died a martyr's death for preaching to the ruler of his day. But the real truth, the real message that drives home to the hearts of God's people throughout the generations is he's preaching the message of salvation and deliverance. And it's Christ. And I'm out of time, but I'm not out of sermon. So let me go for just one minute, if you will. This great Benedictus that Zechariah brings to us, if you'll notice it very carefully, the first half of it in your scripture there from verse 68 down through verse 75 is talking about not John, but Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of His servant David. That's Jesus Christ. Zechariah didn't start his benedictus praising the Lord for the birth of his little boy, thanking God for John. No, he began his benediction doing what his heart beat told him he should do. Praise God for Christ. Praise God for Jesus, the one who was to come. For, he shall, uh, for we shall be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And God has kept His oath. And here's the point of it all, verse 74. In order that we, being delivered, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our lives. And there's a point to it. It's that we might serve Him. Did you ever read carefully in the story of Egypt's uh, deliverance under Moses of why God delivered His people? I would ask for a show of hands. Ask me, why did God deliver His people? In order that they may keep my Sabbaths. 
in order that they may worship me. That's what the fourth commandment's all about. The Sabbath commandment is the Lord's day commandment. It's, it's the commandment to worship the Lord and to serve Him. And you can't do it in this vile, filthy place of Egypt. You've got to get in the wilderness. You've got to get all other gods out of the way. You've got to remove yourself from the land of idolatry and come into the place that God has occupied and where God meets us. And God called His people out of Israel that they may worship and serve Him, be His people and keep His Sabbaths. And that's what God's done for us. He's rescued us in order that we might serve Him in righteousness all the days of our lives. Are we serving Him? 